The Basis of True Joy The Talmud teaches, when the month of Adar enters, we increase our joy. And if we have an issue with an idol worshipper, we should deal with this in the month of Adar. Rabbi Baruch Shalom Ashlag, in his book of articles, looks at this rather enigmatic statement by the sages and asks the following question. What is the basis of our joy? Which joy is the Talmud speaking about? A person cannot suddenly become happy for no reason. Baseless happiness is foolishness and feels silly. The joy the sages are referring to is the joy of holiness. That means the joy of being connected with God. So we need to ask, how do we come to feel this joy? Furthermore, what do the sages mean when they say, if I have an issue with an idol worshipper, I need to deal with it in the month of Adal, it might well be that I'm living in a place where there are no idol worshippers around. So what exactly are the sages referring to here? To answer these questions, Rabbi Ashlag explains, we see that in our lives there are many opposites. For example, in our prayers we pray to God from two opposite poles. We give thanks with songs and praises and we ask for things we lack in our prayers and requests. We see that these are two opposite functions. Giving thanks and praise is natural to us when we feel whole and complete and we're feeling happy and then thanks and joy well up in us naturally. Prayer and requests emerge when we are in pain and we feel lack in our life. Actually, for both these states to be real with respect to our relationship with God, we need to feel them to the utmost. After all, if I'm just praying for something I don't really need, that isn't exactly a true prayer. Or if I just say the words from the lips outwards without touching my heart, that prayer is not representing a true feeling. A true prayer must come from the depth of my heart, with all my heart. In order to get to this level of prayer, a person needs to see the truth. To see the reality of actually how far away he is from God, how far away he really is from affinity of form with the divine. The truth is that if we don't get to this extent of feeling our lack, can we really appreciate the goodness and salvation of God when it comes? Let's look at this issue for a moment in human terms. If I do a small favour to a friend, then the thanks the friend gives me is in proportion to the favour I did him. But if the friend was really desperate and I absolutely saved his life, then the thanks he gives me is from the bottom of his heart and he will never forget what I did for him. Likewise, in our relationship with God, we find that to give praise to God, we want to get to the consciousness where we, like the psalmist, say, All my bones declare to God, who is like you? That's real thanks. How do we cope with two such very opposite states of mind, the state of joy and the state of the lack, so our prayer is a true prayer? How can we get to the place that we feel so far away from God and that that is our most important and deepest lack and then get to the incredible level of joy? Simultaneously, it is impossible. 
But the human being has been given the blessed gift of time. So a person can divide up his service to God into two different phases. One phase, which is called the right-hand side and is designated as wholeness, is the time of praise and thanks. The other phase, the left-hand side, is the time of the lack, the time of emptiness, which gives rise to prayer. When a person starts his service to God, he should start with wholeness, with his right-hand side, thanking and praising God for even the smallest contact he has with him. And then turn to his left-hand side, turn to his lack. After that he returns to his right-hand side, which should be most of the day. Both sides are necessary for us to progress, just as we need both legs on which to walk. There is a further problem. Although the deepest aspect of ourselves wants to serve God, wants the connection with God, there is another part of ourselves, more superficial, but a part that we are aware of, known as the ego, which doesn't let us. It makes us feel that the service to God is a burden. Itself cannot see any reward for serving God, and it doesn't want to do anything without getting a return on its work. Then the only way forward is not to listen to its complaints, but to take up the burden, as the sages said, like an ox to the yoke and the ass to his load. Of course, in these days of self-gratification, this seems inappropriate. But think about it. How do we acquire any good habit? We have to start by doing it even against our will. And then finally, when we have it done, we find it's not so bad. On the contrary, then we begin to feel the benefit. None of our good deeds come back empty, even if at first we have to force ourselves into them, but all that we do will eventually come to be included in our path to holiness. As the sages said, if we practice to our mitzvot, even if it's not for its own sake, that will eventually lead us to practice to our mitzvot for its own sake. In other words, the practice helps. So, even though the ego will put up the most enormous fight, eventually, by ignoring its complaints and doing our practice anyhow, it will come to quieten down and may even come to agree. Now we can understand what the sages said on the verse in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3. If his sacrifice is a burnt offering from cattle, he shall bring an unblemished male. He shall bring it willingly to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. The sages of the Talmud found this statement rather self-contradictory. A sacrifice means something someone is compelled to do, either by external forces or from a force within himself. Yet the scripture goes on to say he brings the sacrifice willingly. How can a sacrifice be willing? The sages answer, he is compelled until he says, I want. That is to say, even if we start out by doing a mitzvah unwillingly, as a sacrifice, ultimately we will come to do it willingly. That is, if we do the mitzvot not for their own sake to begin with, then ultimately we will be able to do them for their own sake, because the practical mitzvot do have the effect that they can bring a person to serve God unconditionally. The sages have said that when a person comes to tshuva from love of God, that is to say he has reached complete and eternal unity with God, then his arrogant acts become like merits for him. 
How much more so must this apply to the mitzvot that he did with mixed motives? They will also be brought into the framework of holiness. From this it follows that the act of any action into our mitzvot, even when done not for its own sake, should inspire tremendous joy, joy that God gave us the opportunity to do something according to his will, something to serve him, something to give to him. So we can see that a person, when he does any mitzvah, can ask himself, for whom am I doing this? When he makes a bracha, a blessing, he can ask himself, to whom am I talking? The Bala Sulam taught that a person is wherever his thought is. So if he puts his attention on the Creator, this means that the Creator is there, and thus he feels joy according to the scriptural phrase, strength and pleasantness is in his place. From all the above, we can now understand more clearly the saying of the sages concerning the month of Adar. That is, when the month of Adar comes in, we increase our joy. That means we emphasise the right-hand line, which is designated as wholeness. A person who is in the state of wholeness is in affinity of form with God, as he relates with the aspect of wholeness within himself to God and is thus in unity with the Creator. And it is the state of wholeness that brings joy. What is special about the month of Adal? It is in the month of Adal that the miracle of Poem happened, in which the light of the final redemption shone. Therefore, as a preparation for this great light, we need to be in Simcha, in joy, just as we are happy when we are expecting an important guest. Therefore, when we make preparation for the festival by increasing our joy, we attract the light of redemption to ourselves. As the sages said, one who feels blessed attracts blessing to himself. The Zohar teaches that according to the deeds of the created beings below, so is the appropriate action awakened above. That is to say, when the created beings are occupied in joy, in the same way they attract the light of joy to themselves from heaven. This is in accordance with what is written in the book of Esther. And Mordechai inscribed these things and sent letters to all the Jews in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, to enjoin them to make the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day thereof every year, as the days when the Jews rested from their enemies. And the month was transformed for them, from grief to joy, and from mourning to a festive day, to make them days of feasting and joy, and sending portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. So we need to take note on how we attract the joy. That is, we give thanks to God that he brought us near him. We thank God and praise him that he gave us the thought and desire to have some contact with spirituality, however small. Then we are on the right-hand side, as we are not asking anything of God. We are giving to God our thanks. In this state, we have unity with God, called Dvekut. Thus we attract simcha, joy and wholeness, since we are now cleaving to the one who is whole. However, we still need to explain the sages saying, if a person has an issue with an idol worshipper, he should deal with him in the month of Adal. Rabbi Ashlag teaches that we need to interpret this phrase as if it's all within ourselves. We have within us both the aspect of Israel and the aspect of the idol worshipper. As the sages said in the scripture, you shall not have a strange god. What is the strange god in a person? That is his evil inclination or as Rabbi Ashdag calls it, our will to receive for ourselves alone. 
that is the aspect of idol worship within us. It opposes the aspect of Israel within us, the part that wants to come to God. It saps our energy. It confuses us and makes us think that the lack of God in our lives is not as so important as our material lacks. We need to do battle with this idol worshipper within us. But it is not so easy as it is a more superficial part of ourselves and thus easier for us to relate to. We need a miracle. And indeed, it was in the month of Adar that the children of Israel merited the great miracle of Purim. Instead of falling into wickedness and being destroyed, they returned to God and God helped them. The tables were turned. The fear of the Jews fell on their enemies and the Jews ruled over their enemies, both the outer ones and the inner ones. So we find that in the month of Adar there is an especial energy with which we may overcome our will to receive ourselves alone and we may come to true joy. So the sages are telling us that as we come into the month of Adar we need to concentrate on our joy because more energy is given to us with which to overcome the negative force of the ego and come to do the mitzvot for the love of God as we anticipate our own pouring miracle. Have a very happy month. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahora School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Yehudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahora School online. Details at www.nahoraschool.com or www.nahorapress.com.